Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You are listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Olga Nikolaev, a deaf educator, grief counselor, and end-of-life doula mentor. So welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Olga. How are you this evening? Great. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, We are here in this series of podcasts talking to professionals who work in the field of bereavement and grief, um, talking about myths and misconceptions and trying to dispel some of those myths and misconceptions that people have. And uh, today we want to talk a little bit about this idea that people, when they're experiencing the end of life or grief after someone they love dies, that they have to get through it on their own. And uh, mm-hmm. we want to talk about that today. Um, so in your role as a death educator, a grief counselor, an end-of-life doula mentor, what are some of the things you think are important for people to know so that they know they don't have to get through end-of-life death and grief on their own? Um, good question. I, I think one, one of the first things is, is maybe to realize that all of us will... Um, experience grief and loss and and oftentimes um we all have our own experiences with with that experience um and sometimes it's it's even beyond um you know an affiliation of losing someone through through death who uh you know is a family member or a friend it's actually we uh, go through all kinds of different losses so sort of the non-human losses and and I think that grief is is something that is a, a part of our human experience it's it's a um, I think a, a process of how we integrate the losses in our life the disappointments the things that didn't go well the things that really um, you know changed right we may have had a, a certain way of of how we saw our life going and then and then things changed relationships ended. Um, job changed, we moved. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, those losses elicit a process in us called grief, which is which is felt emotionally, which is felt physically, mentally, spiritually, and that all of us go through those experiences. You're so right. And, and that each of us goes through those experiences kind of in our own way, um, at our own time, and there are layers to that impact, right? So each mm-hmm. loss or, um, is sometimes layered within, woven together, so to speak, with the other losses we've had in our life, um, be they the loss of a person or associated losses, right? In terms mm-hmm. of sometimes those secondary losses of things like, um, you know, location, right? Right. Um, yeah. 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 Or the way in which the way in which change, right? So so death 
of whatever kind is actually a, a type of change. And it, so it kind of rattles us. I think the other thing I would want people to know is let's, let's backtrack a little bit instead of saying, you know, how can you um, kind of um, go through this and, and what, you know, to acknowledge the fact that you don't have to do this alone. But I think one of the things that people don't realize is that um, they don't sometimes even understand what grief is about or sorry, not what grief is about, how how we experience grief, right? So if if we are a society that we don't necessarily share our suffering or our losses or or the negative, quote unquote, negative emotions, right? Sadness, um, we oftentimes are very quick to shift a mindset or shift um, someone's, uh, you know, emotional state, especially when it's sort of negative or when we labeled it negative. So when people are mad or sad, um, those are kind of the emotions that we don't necessarily want to hang out with too much, right? Because it makes us feel that way. And so I think, you know, I, as a society, we're we're very much quick to look at the positive aspect of things, get happy, get going. And I think that there's a real loss of not um, being present with some of the more painful emotions. It's not to say that we need to sit with them and and you know be there forever and ever, but there needs to be an acknowledgement of that and a recognition. And I think one of the things that happens in our society is that we suffer alone. And so when other people don't bear witness to our experience, we feel that we are very much alone. And so well, I guess it's just me, so I'll just keep it to myself. And it perpetuates this cycle of, of really isolating, um, isolating one's grief, right? I don't wanna add, you know, to the negative, negative sort of things um, to others. I don't want to add, add that negative emotion. And so in the way of maybe sometimes protecting other people, people isolate to not expose um, their grieving feelings. So it's the sense of if we can allow people to be in those difficult feelings of sadness and pain, um, and that if we, if we can witness it and be present with it for a time, it's actually more easy for someone to move through it in a supported way than if we leave them isolated and alone and trying to mm -hmm. hide it because nobody wants to see anything but happiness. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Right, because I think we each know that life is not, um, you know, the, the the Instagram pictures, the Facebook posts, and all the happy things we understand. And oftentimes, what we, what I have found throughout my own my own life, and and I think you have too, Maureen, as many people have. It's oftentimes the the experiences in life that are hard, that are difficult, that really call to to us to rise to our resilience, to rise to overcoming some of those real hard challenges. And I haven't even had, you know, half of the challenges that that some folks may have experienced, right? Whether it be in other parts of the world or even in Canada. And that might be the losses that they might have because um, not just, again, not because somebody has died, but because they they don't, um, maybe they've lost their, their sense of place or they've lost a sense of their identity or those kinds of things or their mm -hmm. life circumstances are so much of struggle and so much of continuous losses right so mm -hmm. I think the other thing that happens is that there's something that happens in our body because grief is felt in the body and it impacts 
in a very physiological way. So by training, I'm, I'm, I'm still a registered nurse. So I'm, I, you know, my initial beginnings sort of were in the discovery of the, of the biology and the, um, the physiology and then the disease process and all those kinds of things. And what I've really come to discover, right, is that the body responds in very um, interesting ways, you know, and we're discovering more and more how hormones play a role in our emotional well-being and our mood and how all these different um, elements in the body are impacted by environmental stresses, right? So death is a huge stress, right? Because it's really, um, and especially if somebody has been at the bedside or when um, a death may be traumatic, or when a death is very complex, you know, so in those really complex kinds of deaths of suicide, of homicide, those kinds of, or, or even when a person, um, you know, when somebody is missing, right, that kind of a loss where there's, it's more complex and oftentimes may, um, you know, develop into more of a complicated type of grief. The body responds, right, in a, in a way uh, where it increases the cortisol, that, that kind of stress hormone, and then it creates a lot of havoc in the body. And I think people don't even realize that, that grief works in this way, that you kind of lose a sense of, um, you know, you lose concentration, you're not able to kind of think clearly, there's a, a real sort of coming inside, right? So you, you really, you know, there's almost like a push to isolate when you're when you're grieving, right? Mm -hmm. um, so again, those layers, layers of grief, we need to move beyond and through and expand really our knowledge in, in grief, grief and loss. Because it's, it's a wound. And so sometimes when we're wounded, we withdraw. And then we don't necessarily yeah. get what we need to heal the wound. Yeah, it's a natural physiological response, right? Our little reptilian brain says, you know, either we fight or or we freeze or we flee. And so it's very much a protective mechanism because the stressor of that death leaves us very, very vulnerable. And if we feel that way personally, right, in our own personal experience, and then we might be going out into the world and then what we get back, the reflections that we get back is, you know, you should be over this or those kinds of ways in which people sometimes think that they're being supportive by moving a person along their grief. So they kind of get to the place of acceptance so they don't have to be sad anymore. And I think that when people go out, what they find sometimes, because we haven't necessarily tipped grief literacy into the the full scale of the social awareness, is that people then they feel like they they don't have a place, like their grief and their expression of it, especially their expression of it, isn't valid, is not normal, right? Mm -hmm. So they that drives them to feel more isolated. And I like that concept of grief literacy, the idea that we have an ability to take in and comprehend what uh, grief is about. When we have that ability to be literate about grief, then we have a more of an expectation that people will grieve and that it will take them some time and that it will mm -hmm. look different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And 
that it's a natural response to loss and not a problematic response. Right. right. Because we, I mean, we, it's, it's relearning it, right? Because we have to, you know, if, if I go back to the medical history of, of grief and how we've pathologized, we, you know, in the 50s and 60s, especially when there was, you know, a real expression of emotion or sort of a pseudopsychosis, right? We, we oftentimes pathologized if a person couldn't get back into the mechanism of the, the workplace and, you know, the big machine and it took them a little bit too long or it's it stifled their progress then they were they were ill right and and what we're realizing is that when we enabled researchers who who were willing to sit with people who were grieving and ask them more questions what are you experiencing when we looked at things um in a more robust way we found wait a minute you know this it's not an illness this is a natural process that sometimes is complicated by the circumstances of that particular loss and that's the piece we need to be aware of i think this will this this can tip into the future as a way of saying you know what are the the losses that people experience beyond uh, a personal you know a person death and looking at some of the social suffering you know especially for the communities that are um you know don't necessarily have access to some of the fundamental um you know wellness of life food shelter water those kinds of things those are all huge losses Yes, and living with those kind of social losses or physical losses or otherwise, you know, spiritual losses when they are, uh, people are removed from their um, their connection with their culture, mm-hmm. or their land and things like that. Those, the then those other kinds of social losses, you know, really impact how people grieve uh, death as well, mm-hmm. right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're interlaced those responses and um it feels like that is just one more space where people might not feel that they are validated or or exactly yeah and again they might be protecting themselves right so so the stoicism may not be the denial it might be a natural mechanism as a way of protecting oneself Right, protecting one's psyche from any more harm. Mm-hmm. And so, some of the work that you do is really giving people language and helping them have space for these concepts, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that piece becomes how do we educate everybody, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? I, I I think we're we're doing it. I think we're 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 doing it in a variety of different ways, and I think that that is really the advantage. And even you know, amidst of 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 the a global pandemic and the voices that that now there's an opportunity to hear, not just to to read, like not just for researchers, but even in in the grief stories that are that are shared, right? So to see the multiple different ways that people speak about their losses from their own perspective, right? So you see more, you see more of those um, kind of um, image makers, you could say, right? Okay. <laughs> so we can get go get off. I mean, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, and, and she's not the only one, right? You and I know the number of researchers that, that have provided uh, a wealth of information to study the grief process and how um, it might be 
complicated or how we can make things a little bit better to move through it? What are the the things that are needed to support people as they move through, right? Mm -hmm. We're still exploring, we're still growing and, and our environment keeps changing, right? So in the midst of the world pandemic, our, our ways of, of grieving is gonna, is gonna shift a little bit. We're gonna have to support differently, right? And, and we also have a huge opportunity to, um, to put forth different ways of grieving and talk about it more. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said about that idea of sharing stories um, as a way of expanding our knowledge and our insights into what's possible in grief and what's also sometimes helpful in grief. And of course, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the full focus of the Grief Stories organization right. and website is to mm-hmm. um, to share stories that help people know that they're not alone exactly. and to help them see ways that they might move through this or think about their loss or ways that they might help themselves heal uh, so that they can carry the story of their loss and maybe come mm-hmm. around to being able to share it and, and set, set some some light on that same path for some other people down the road. Exactly. I know that, you know, even in my, my facilitation of, of providing people with some basic foundation of how they can support people at the end of life through maybe the end of life doula uh, program. Most of, most of the time, or a lot of the time we spent um, sharing stories, right? Sharing the impacts of our losses and how we want to move through the healing process for, for ourselves and to help others as well. But fundamentally, you know, it's about healing oneself. So coming together and it's, and the power is really in the, in the social unit, right? It's, it's when a group of people, um, you know, let's say 10 people come together and they listen to each other's stories and they hold each other with, you know, real, tenderness and compassion because they are are still tender with their own experience right something in that experience has touched them sometimes it drives them to because the experience wasn't good and they want to shift it because no one should go through that or um and because they may have had both experiences, they may have had a really great experience at the end of life and want to share that with others want to you know be able to say this is also possible Right. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think people are trying to find. And I think where the the grief counselors and where those who are preparing folks or, or uh, offering to support them through the dying phase, this is where they're coming together. What we know is that when people have good information about what's going to happen at the end of life, they're better prepared. They're not as shocked by the by the what happens right Mm -hmm. and sometimes by the natural process again a natural process um of of dying right when they can anticipate some of those kinds of changes then they can kind of buffer against them they could they could start to um sort of uh, exercise their grief muscle and do a little bit of, you know, anticipatory grief where they might already engage in, in some meaningful, maybe legacy projects, which will carry them through the dying and the death and beyond and will be part of what they are, um, you know, really carrying with them as a healing healing component right this is where where i think the richness is to marry those two things because we know it's you know when people also have access to uh, and being with 
people who are dying and and post-death as well. Also, I think that their grief is is a little bit, um, not that it's less than, it's not to minimize, but it 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 uh, it moves. It's integrated um, better, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the ability to, to have an idea of what to expect and to be present with it and be supported and taking actions that feel uh, important to you at the end of life for the person that's that's leaving, um, that that all lends itself to being able to integrate better than mm -hmm. when things are unknown or come as a shock or just aren't expected at all. The giving of knowledge, the sharing of information is such a powerful tool to help people uh, make their own decisions and to move through and do the work in the way that they need to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I, I think, you know, in, in, in that, if I was to, to bring it around full circle, right, how you, we started off talking about stigma and talking about demystifying, right? So how do all the different myths and things. So it's really, again, right, when we come together, when we share the stories, we realize that we're not alone, that we have similar experiences. And that's why the, the more, more people do come together and share in their death stories or their grief stories, um, I think, again, the more that they will see that there's elements in their story that speaks to them. Nobody will ever have the same experience, right? We can't. And those of us who, who support poor people, right? We know that, that we are there to, to be with, to sit with, that we can never uh, know the totality of somebody else's experience, but we're there to, to normalize and to affirm and to validate and to witness. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. And when we share stories, it becomes a normal a normalized experience. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we can, we can share our stories with others and share our presence with others and allow others to share their presence and stories with us. Um, <laughs> we're not trying to hide it away because it's not okay or there's nothing, you know, we know when we share information, we share stories and we share presence, then we know there's nothing wrong with us. That's right. When this has happening. Yeah. yeah. No one's running away, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. that's the fear I think people have, right? That's why they seek the counselors because we get paid and we can't leave. <laughs> and sometimes they feel like if I tell you the story, you're going to run away, right? Yeah. When it's not true, when when and and we can, right? This is part of my, uh, you know, what I try to to facilitate in some of the courses is is being able to um, be with the uncomfortable, feel a bit more comfortable with the discomfort that you might be even as a supporter feeling right but to really hold without an agenda just to hold a presence like you're saying for for someone else right without shifting it without moving it because so much of the world um you know wants people to like i said get back on that treadmill again and, mm -hmm. and yes when are you going to get back to work when are you going to feel like right. yourself again and yeah and and so this this being able to just be present and let it take its own uh, its own course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I th I think the other people might also think that they it will be it would over overwhelm them, and it's not necessarily true, right? This is where the stories are really um, useful as well, you know, sharing um, from others. Right. So they can. Oh, it's it's okay. Like it's it's normal, right? It's okay if I, 
you know, spend the day in bed. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things as a way of normalizing some of the natural grieving behavior that we may elicit. Right. So that means again, um, you know, and, and becoming aware of it, right. Um, having that self-awareness as well to, to pay attention maybe to some of the behavior that may not necessarily be advantageous. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, building of that awareness. Right. And, and paying attention sharing information so people have options and choices and and uh, and empowering them to move through it in their own way in their own time with mm-hmm. support and and acceptance it's so important yeah. to just accept people where they are in their grief absolutely mm-hmm. well thank you so much for the conversation for joining us here on the grief stories podcast and uh helping me to share information with all of our listeners uh, that we hope will help them as they go through their own grief stories. Thank you, Maureen. Happy to share. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.